Hello everybody, this is Loki Away of Loki and welcome to the No Hit Podcast. Here's my job to interview extraordinary gamers in the realms of challenge running. Whether there be no hit runs, completing games in entirety without taking a single hit of points of damage, speed runs, completing games that normally take hours in mere minutes and other such ventures. Today's guest is Anthony Caliber, that's Anthony, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y, Caliber, C-A-L-I-B-E-R, on Twitter, Twitch and YouTube. Anthony is a world record level speedrunner in the games The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part 2, having completed and attained numerous world records in various categories. With particular note to the Grounded speedrun, with Grounded being the hardest difficulty in the game, causing a whole host of extra challenges within the game that Anthony goes into. As well as gone into other speedruns, including the Uncharted series, South Park Stick of Truth, and attended events including GDQ, that's Games Done Quick, and ESA, the European Speedrunners Assembly, showcasing runs. In this conversation, we go to Anthony's introduction to The Last of Us, and then speedrunning focus on the game. The numerous changes the grounded difficulty adds to the game, the appeal of such a speedrun, and what strats are involved. Glitches in Last of Us, as well as how to improve times as well as Anthony's experience playing The Last of Us and various other games with Nolan North on the show, formerly known as Retro Replay. Nolan North being the voice actor for Nathan Drake in the Uncharted series and David in The Last of Us, and many more topics. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Anthony Caliber. Uh, right, Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for taking some time out for this. How's it going, man? Pretty good. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. No, <laughs> no worries at all, man. Uh, I would like to start with whichever came first, your introduction to speed running or introduction to the last of us i was definitely introduced to last of us before speed running i i remember it was september of 2013 i walked in on my roommate playing it and yeah i watched him play a little bit i looked up reviews i gave it a play through myself thought it was the greatest thing i ever saw and then it was shortly after that i, I saw um it was games done quick marathons that was the first time i ever saw speed running and then like a year later i decided to try it myself what was the trigger to go just like, okay, now I want to start trying or get into it? And what was it about The Last of Us that made it the game that you wanted to speedrun? Well, the two kind of coincide together. I was playing Last of Us so much. It was really like the only game I was playing back on PlayStation 3. Mm-hmm. I was just playing it over and over and over. And then over time, I was like, you know what? I want to get to the cutscenes faster. So I started finding strategies that, that were consistent. You know, it worked the same way because when I was playing, I was noticing when you enter an area, the enemies are doing the same thing every single time. So I was like, there's got to be some things that would work every single time. Like every time I do it, doing this one thing would work every time. And then, you know, I started doing that and then I just started combining uh, doing it faster and faster. And then that turned into what I do today. So getting to the cutscenes faster, was it the 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 story that kept you with it or the gameplay or a mix of both it was a mix of both i think a long time ago it was definitely um uh it was definitely the story that hooked me i didn't you know i still think it's one of the best stories in gaming but you know the gameplay wasn't too shabby either (laughs) going from improving the times getting quicker out of it where did it change from or how to get introduced to Compet- if if that's a factor, actually, competitive aspect of speedrunning, as in leaderboards, world records, if that was a factor, or was it just all focus on just improving personal times at first? Early on, it was more about improving personal times, because back then, I don't even think speedrun.com existed yet. There, w- there was this one website, I think PB Leaderboards, or so, I don't remember the name, but nobody used it. Let me think. Um, yeah, it definitely wasn't, like, super competitive back then. There were only, like, three consistent runners back in 2015, myself and two other people. But competition in Last of Us speedrunning really only started, I'd say back in like 2017, 2018. Back then it was really just about uh, improving, you know, your personal best, like 
young how maximizing on like your own potential and doing the best that you can do not really comparing against others that's not the case anymore today we have like a bunch of runners doing some amazing things i think a good benefit of competition as well as it leads to a lot of innovation imagine like a lot of strats were created as more and more runners entered the fold and tried to push that time lower and lower oh definitely definitely yeah um because you know someone gets a better time you can't stick with the strats you're doing you gotta adapt to um you know the faster things i think the best example of that was um one of the speedrunners back then who's still running today his name is uh Uranto, and he found a new skip for the any percent route where right before the slums chapter in last of us there's um uh, there's an in-game cutscene of tess giving a guy the character tests giving a guy some ration cards asking for a man named robert it's, it's long and played out it takes like 12 or 13 seconds he found out that if you like approach the area back up for one second then start going for some for some reason it affects the companion that triggers the in-game cutscene, and you can just skip it mm. and you know that it, it took he's the one who found it so i had to learn it and then at first when i went back to the any percent category i was like you know what i'll try and get the record without that because I don't want to reset runs 20 minutes in over this trick that, you know, works half the time. But I, you know, he already implemented it in his run and his record. So I could, I, I had to do it despite me not really wanting to. Then the more I did it, the more I was like, you know what, this isn't as bad as I thought. And it does inspire you to just be better when people surpass you. I want to go into strap making, but I'm going to leave that for a moment because I want to go into the differences in the last of us speed running with the first biggest example would be grounded could you explain for someone who might not be aware of what it is or maybe to the extent of how it affects the game what the difference is grounded does to the game and what the appeal of grounded speed running grounded is for you yeah sure so grounded is if you buy remastered grounded is just there but on playstation 3 it's a dlc difficulty so you have to buy it basically it's the hardest difficulty in the game let's see enemies do i think compared to normal mode enemies do triple damage like just off the top of my head three punch like if you have full health three punches and you're dead two melee weapon hits and you're dead one shotgun blast one shorty one el diablo or one rifle bullet will leave you with barely any health two revolver bullets and you're dead you know it, it's pretty pretty brutal and um uh, let's see parts and supplements that upgrade Joel and his weapons, those are the same throughout any difficulty, but crafting ingredients, either dropped by enemies or just throughout the world, is a lot less. I think the best example of that is Bill's Town when you get the shotguns. Mm -hmm. Bill in his armory has like a shelf full of crafting ingredients. You can pick up like a whole thing of explosives, rags, alcohol, or crafting med kits and molotovs, but on Grounded, there's like a quarter of one of those things. So. Crafting ingredients are way more scarce. Also, the heads-up display on the bottom right of the screen is disabled. As well as, so you can't see, you can still use the D-pad to see how many bullets you have for a gun, but you don't know how many are in the magazine if you have to reload. You don't know how many melee weapon hits you have, uses left in a shiv. So it does make a big difference. And uh, listen mode, which is one of the most used features for a first playthrough, I think, uh, that's disabled completely. Um trying to think what else um one benefit of grounded there are there are very, many many negatives but one positive is you know to compensate for all this increased difficulty your guns end up doing a little bit more damage on easy normal hard and survivor 
let's see, a pistol would kill a human enemy in three hits, a rifle in two hits, a revolver in two hits. By ungrounded, revolver and rifle both kill in one hit, a pistol will kill in two hits. And with the bow, if you're in the, if you, if you hit an enemy with a bow in, in stealth mode, you know, it's a one hit kill no matter what. But when you're in the alert phase, it takes two arrows to kill them. On grounded, it's it's one no matter what. So your guns do a little bit more damage as well. Also, one more thing is checkpoints. On easy mode, let's say you're doing one of the more difficult fights, like fighting with David in winter in the coal mine area. You know, if you die pretty late into the fight, you know, it'll checkpoint you halfway through the fight or something. Or I, I, actually, I think a better example would be the last stage, a uh, hospital. You know, there's two floors to that entire building full of fireflies with armor and assault rifles and really powerful weapons. If you die on the top floor on easy mode, you know, it'll checkpoint you up there. On grounded, it sends you all the way back to the beginning. So the <laughs> checkpoints are way more brutal. So they wanted to make it as nice an experience as possible. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's interesting that damage uh, aspect because like a typical, or I guess a typical difficulty difference that's implemented in games would be health boosted enemies like the resi series if you go into like hard harder modes it like tops up the enemy's health quite a bit so you have to use more ammo it's interesting that it use it sort of not exactly reverses that but uh, that's different in that way yeah yeah they didn't change anything about enemy placement or enemy health or anything like I think there was an interview with one of the devs that was like, you know, for grounded mode, we could have replaced runners with clickers or included a bloater in one of the areas, which is the hardest enemy in the game. But now they just decided to uh, keep everything mostly the same. Oh, yeah. And one more thing. Enemy senses are much, much better. Like on easy mode, you could crouch walk next to a clicker and they wouldn't hear you. On grounded mode, they would hear you like instantly, even if you're crouched. So... Yeah, it's much, much harder to sneak past them. So that is one thing they did. They increased enemy senses. So with all these additional fun aspects of the game added, what was the appeal of of speedrunning this category? I think it was just the feeling of doing something that not many others were able to do. I've gotten comments like, I was stuck on this one area for days. And I would have to put it away for a while and then eventually come back to it. And I think it's this feeling with, with anything in, in life. You know, if you're able to do something that, you know, nobody else can do, uh, no matter how obscure it is, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. I didn't t tackle any of the easy mode categories for the longest time. And even when I do, it's not for very long. Grounded is always the one thing I go back to. And it's just this feeling of, like, I know what I'm doing is difficult, but, you know, when you eventually get to where you want to be with it, it, it just gives you that much, uh, that much of a better feeling when it's all said and done. I'll only touch on uh, this real quick thing, but I imagine it was a nice experience after running Grounded The Last of Us to go into The Last of Us 2 and have a much more plethora of stuff to collect, I guess. <laughs> it's like walking to places and there's actually stuff there waiting. Yeah, um, with Last of Us 2... It was nice that I had this experience with Last of Us 1 already, because it kind of made strat development a little bit easier. You know, it's like, let's start out with doing the fastest thing imaginable, which would be completely sprinting through an area. And then when that doesn't work, you kind of slow it down a little bit enough to where, you know, this is still fast, but it works. That's interesting. Was that the approach when you first started learning the run? Uh, of let's stick with last of us one for instance last of us one 
No, no, because I didn't have any speedrunning experience. That was the first game I ever speed. I, I get new viewers from time to time uh, that ask me, so what was your first speedrun? They have no idea that even though I'm still playing Last of Us, it was the first game I ever speedran. No, the lack of ex speedrunning experience going into it definitely uh, did not help with strat discovery. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that's it. Again, then, the, uh, or I guess a different question would be then, when you change to approach the game as a speedrun, how, what was the difference in that approach in comparison to trying to play it quickly? What was the differences? I think the only difference would be when I was just trying to play it quickly, you know, I wasn't starting over if something went wrong. I was just playing it and then adapting to whatever would happen and then just kind of remembering it for the next run. But when you approach it from like, let's get this record, you know, you need to practice a lot more. Going in, just trying to play it fast doesn't involve practice, not yet officially committing to the hobby you got to practice more than you actually run and i god i could give myself horrible flashbacks just thinking about how much time i've spent on certain areas thousands of hours i have a couple of like niche questions specific to the speed run the first one to go with is the patch differences as i noticed on the speedrun.com website it was grounded was done on patch 1.0 but the other runs that you've done was on 1.11 is that a intentionally done i guess or it must be but uh for what particular reason yeah so the history of like the patches is i remember they were on patch 1.06 for a while and the game ran a certain way that was pretty favorable for speed running you know back i'd say in 2017 nobody ran on patch they ran the latest patch just because it's what we were used to but then out came patch 1.07. I'll never forget it. It was the PlayStation 4 Pro accommodation patch that put in either frame rate or screen resolution priorities only for the Pro. And I was warming up one day, getting ready to do runs, and I noticed the AI was just different. I, I, could, I could tell right away they were doing things that I had never, ever seen before because there's quite a bit of consistency in what they do. There's randomness in certain things like where an enemy will take cover, but they were just... First place I noticed it was the start of Pittsburgh when they crashed the truck. Mm -hmm. There's four enemies that come towards you, three with guns and one with a melee weapon. They're supposed to rush you. And then like a couple of them take cover behind a window and a, and a crate. And then one guy is still running towards you. What happened there was they would all run to the right and take cover behind like giant beams and walls. And it didn't make any sense at all. So, and it just, these changes weren't beneficial to grounded is you know especially in that area you had to get pistol headshots to save some of your more important guns for more difficult areas and you couldn't get any pistol headshots at that distance it was impossible so it we're like what the hell do we do now they i'm sure these changes were unintentional but they were still there and so so noticeable um so that's when we played around with the unpatched version um some loading screens were just a little bit longer i think um, but the game was stable. It wouldn't crash that much. Occasionally it will. But yeah, when it comes to grounded, it would work. The AI would work just like it did before with 1.06. So from that moment, we decided to run it unpatched. And then we would document the differences for easy mode and any percent new game plus, whatever, any easy mode category. Uh, the latest patch is better because some areas are a little faster. And if you get shot once, it's like, okay, now instead of five bars of health, I have four and a half bars of health. It's not that big a deal. On grounded, one bullet can either kill you or take oh, take out half your health. So, and if you miss a shot on easy mode, you know you got like 
17 other bullets in your gun. Grounded, you never have more than two or three. Another thing I found interesting was when you when you load up the the site, the speedrun.com site, it's the starting category is new game uh, plus as opposed to just new game. And was interesting what the reason, if there is a reason for that, is that the more popular category or? I think Grounded being like the most popular, there's kind of a difference. I think Grounded new game is like the best category, but that that's more so just with my community. When it comes to the speedrunning community, I think they decided to prioritize the fastest category, which would be any percent new game plus. So I think that's the reason it shows up first. And what's the key differences between that makes the plus the quicker version? Well, the new game plus, it has to do with your parts and your supplements. With you know, throughout the game, you collect parts and pills or supplements to upgrade Joel and his guns. Like uh, with the guns, fire rate, reload speed. If you have a shotgun, it's uh, spread and the power, uh, distance on it. With the rifle, you could add a scope. You could have armor piercing bullets with that and the El Diablo and uh, the flamethrower is a big boost, but we still, it takes too long to pick that gun up. Um, and you can use those in your next playthrough. So it takes like two or three playthroughs to upgrade everything. Oh, and uh, the supplements with Joel, uh, you get more, you get a higher maximum health. You can craft faster. You can uh, heal faster. Um, listen mode distance is upgraded. Uh, there's no weapon sway. Those are the big ones. And yeah, you can use all those in your next playthrough. So for people listening, like supplements are like skills that you can acquire uh, during the game. So just one like Anthony just described like high health or better listening. Yeah. Oh, there's also uh, training manuals to pick up along the way, which will increase the radius of your bombs or in the case of a smoke bomb, make it last longer or shivs will have more than one use. You can have up to three. A modded melee weapon will have, you can use it three times before it snaps off your melee weapon. So yeah, you, you can keep all of those for the next playthrough. Also, when you, in a new game file, when you pick up your first gun, there, there's a little prompt that comes up saying you can swap out a gun in your right or left holster. If you pick up a bomb, it gives a little tutorial about uh, how the bomb works and everything. On New Game Plus, you don't get those little pop-up t- tutorials, which is like three or four seconds each. And there's like eight or nine of them, so it ends up saving like 30 or 40 seconds by just not, them not popping up. I remember a long time ago, we didn't differentiate New Game and New Game Plus. And at the time, I think one of my records was three hours and 33 minutes and 34 seconds. Long time ago. Then another runner comes along and got like 3.33.33, I think was the time. He beat me by one second. I was on New Game. He was on New Game Plus. So I'm like, we were like... Okay, yeah, we need we need to differentiate them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so for runs like this, I'm going to Last of Us Two, which is also a long a long run, even longer. But how does resets work with a run that at that length? Well, Last of Us Two is kind of split up a little bit. There's full game runs, which well, first of all, Last of Us Two uses the in-game timer. Um, part one, you know, loading screens can be random, and most of them are pretty consistent, so we we can use a normal timer or RTA. But part two has very inconsistent loading screens, and they last a long time. Like you could skip one cutscene in a run and get a one-minute loading screen, or longer. You could skip that same cutscene in another run, and the gameplay starts up 
right away again. It's unpredictable. Uh, so we have no choice but to use the in-game timer. So a lot of the strats are, you know, there's a lot more restart encounters because, you know, even if it sends you like five feet forward, you know, the time it takes to restart encounter or the loading screen that you get doesn't come into play. So it's more about manipulating the game to placing you forward as many times as possible. But with part two, oh, I forgot the question. What was it again? <laughs> uh, it was to do with re uh, how resets or at what points would you reset a run being such a long run? Right, right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, part two, in terms of like how long it actually takes RTA, again, we time it with the end game timer, but I like to keep track of how long I've actually been sitting here doing it. It takes about twice as long. As, as a part one run, almost exactly twice as long. So doing a full run, we decided to separate the full run into Ellie and Abby percent categories because, you know, just to accommodate people who, you know, don't want to sit here for six hours doing a, doing a run. And the reason we can separate them is because, you know, when you end Ellie Seattle day three and start Abby Seattle day one, their supplies don't really carry over. They're completely independent to each other. I like to describe Last of Us 2 as like two and a half games in one. You have Ellie's portion, Abby's portion, and then the Santa Barbara chapter. Lengthwise, it's just about two and a half games in one as well. But yeah, we separated Ellie percent and Abby percent. And they're about two and a half hours, anywhere from two and a half to three hours each. Abby percent just being a little bit shorter. Uh, so we included those for people who don't want to sit here the full six. But yeah, when I haven't done many full runs, but the ones I have done, yeah, it is quite an uh, adjustment. You know, you're used to sitting here for three hours or so, but when you all of a sudden have to double it to six, it, towards the end of it, you do get a little... I know there are speedrunners out there who, you know, almost daily are doing six or seven hour speedruns, or some even longer. Or some, a couple guys I know, like once a week, do 20 hour speedruns or something. But still, if you get used to something and then you all of a sudden have to sit, like, sit here much, much longer, it is an adjustment. So when it comes to resetting, this was a while ago, I would probably still just push through. Because if I reset two hours in, knowing I have to sit here for another six, I'm probably not going to uh, probably not going to want to do that. So I think I would either continue it or stop and then focus on either Ellie or Abby, where I'm more inclined to restart if something didn't go well. So similar query to do with Last of Us Part One, or just the Last of Us, I guess. <laughs> it's only Part One now that Part Two has just come out. Uh, yeah. but now that it's it's world record times is. I'm guessing like common resets I can think of would probably be like deaths or being held up or stuff like that. Is there anything when you're going forward record times that may cause a reset that the time loss would be too great that might not be immediately apparent, such as like deaths or anything like that? Well, if the death happens quickly, I could keep going. But resets usually happen early on because like within the first 22 or 23 minutes, because, you know, if you can just put up with the slow pacing of the intro, you can, uh, you know, you can get a better run up to that point again, which really fuels the desire to start over. If you're not happy with something early on, it makes more sense to reset than it does later on. Because later on, sometimes continuing a run that isn't good can help you when, uh, you know, the time comes to really clutch out a record or a personal best. But re resetting early on, I feel, is very, very necessary. Another separation between the casket and probably the last separation I'll ask about is the any percent v glitchless. And for those wanted to have a see many many glitches, 
uh, Anthony has uh, two videos, at least two videos that I've seen on his YouTube channel of glitches of The Last of Us. But was interested in, do you have any particular favorite glitches within the game? You mean like in the speedrun or just in the game? Because there are some glitches that don't benefit the run at all. Uh, how about both then? My favorite glitch in Last of Us is definitely you just finish with the damn fight and you start like the ranch riding through the forest looking for Ellie. You can actually get off the horse by mashing triangle. You're not supposed to, but if you mash triangle fast enough, you can get off the horse and do the entire track on foot. And then if you get a certain distance in, Joel's body will just be like inverted like a pretzel. I don't know <laughs> what kind of model that is or what they were going for, but it looks ridiculous. It's hilarious. Anyone can do it. It's definitely my favorite glitch. I don't think anything's going to come along that beats that one. But as for any percent, got to be honest, I find those glitches quite annoying <laughs> because they skip a lot, but some of them can be a little bit harder to pull off. And I, you know, Uncharted has quite, it has a really not necessarily popular, but a really good any percent category for uh, all three games. Uh, the fourth one in Lost Legacy, not so much. Well, the fourth one, not so much. Lost Legacy isn't that bad. But like the first Uncharted, it, you can aim over and over and glitch into walls and skip in entire chapters. If you mess it up and have to do it over, that's a couple seconds lost maybe. Like set it up again, try again. There's And there's only like a couple big chapter skips in there. The rest are like easy to do level skips, like glitching through walls being the main one. Last of Us is to a point where there are very, either none or very, very few small time saves. They all save like a good amount of time. Like you can skip the entire downtown building, the hotel and financial district. You can skip Bill's upside down trap. So if you were to fail any one of these, that's an instant reset. So it, that... That's kind of what's kept me away from that category for a long time. Because, yeah, any percent is, like, always the default category for almost every speedrun game. But with Last of Us, the glitches are few and far between. And the the big ones, you know, if you practice enough, you can get them pretty easily. But there's still, if, if you fail it, you gotta, you, ha you have to start over if you're going for a personal best or a world record. And, you know, resetting over that versus resetting, like, a difficult area to perform with enemies, it's just a different feeling. A notable one I saw during one of your GDQ runs, I believe, was on Left Behind um, with the, I wrote down in my notes, Void Space Glitch. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um so for visual people it's in the left behind where you play as ellie it's climbing on top of uh certain objects and basically passing into the white area from the first matrix with various things <laughs> around <laughs> how is something like that even discovered i guess <laughs> well all these big discoveries weren't discovered by me i i'm more focused on how to do like an enemy encounter properly and professionally but when it comes to the glitches, I didn't have much to do with them. They were discovered between three people. Uranto found a couple. But really, it was between a guy named Matt Matt and another guy named Thrillness. Those two really laid the groundwork for all of the big any percent glitches. They found, uh, I call it the crate climbing glitch, because that's pretty much what you're doing. You're climbing a crate, crouch in a quarter, corner, you turn the camera on the second climb, and then it just whites out the area and it unloads doors and then you can go through a door that would normally that's normally locked and you trigger like close to the end of the game that's how it works um 
but how it's discovered, like how you, some are discovered by accident. I know I've discovered a couple things by accident myself in the campaign, but when it comes to Left Behind, I don't know if they were looking for it or they stumbled upon it. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but I can say through personal experience, I, some of them are definitely found by accident. What would be an example of some that you found during the campaign playthroughs? Campaign? Um, there's one in uh, Billstown in the chapter Graveyard, where if you hold down, like when you go from like a non-enemy encounter to an enemy encounter, Joel's running animation changes. But if you hold down Sprint during the transition, he'll have this sort of in-between speed, which is faster than a jog, but slower than a sprint. And then if you take that running speed through the halfway point of the area, he just starts to T-pose and float. <laughs> uh, just, just out of the blue, it happens uh, on its own. And the best thing about that is the area is full of clickers, and they can only notice you through their hearing. So since you're not making footsteps and you're just floating, <laughs> you, can just, you can just go right past them. <laughs> that's actually just a great combination. <laughs> yeah, and that's used in the any percent route. Um, yeah, totally wasn't looking for it. It just kind of happened. With so many mobs, you mentioned that there is consistency in how the enemies interact when you enter rooms or areas. Is Does that still leave room for a lot of RNG with how they act? If we'll stick with, stick with Last of Us, one would probably be easiest. Yeah, with how enemies act, there's... Yeah, there is consistency. There's there's randomness with what they do when you're spotted, but when it comes to like going through an area quietly or approaching an area to where then you go loud, yeah, they, they do the same thing every time. Sometimes throughout the run, now that I'm thinking about it, in most areas, a bigger problem is actually your companions. Because sometimes companions being at a certain spot is what triggers the continuation of the area. And sometimes they can lag far behind or get caught on something and that happens you end up losing more time so a lot of areas are like pretty much all of billstown is companion manipulation it makes it so much more difficult when people who are there who are supposed to be helping you whether casually or speed running are just they don't <laughs> they just don't and i'm sure other speed runs have that as well probably resident resident evil 4 might be a probably a worse case than what i have to deal with but yeah, you just end up getting these characters that are supposed to help you out, and they just they just end up getting in your way, it's, and can be really frustrating. I think it's I think it was a while ago, or it was made a while ago, or published a while ago now. But there's a a, a rage compilation on your channel, and I think a <laughs> one of the most consistent frustration moments that I saw was to do with the NPCs being like getting in the way or being weird uh -huh. or stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm surrounded by much more expensive equipment now than I used to be, so I don't get as angry as I used to. <laughs> Toned down. Yep. <laughs> I, remember, I remember speaking to a, a Hitless runner a while back in the scene, when, like, if an angry moment happens, they, like, run through the cost in the head of whatever they're about to chuck and, and then decide whether it's worth chucking after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I like I, I I used to like to bang on my desk, just just fist ready to just bang down like I'm like I'm doing whack-a-mole or something. <laughs> and I just no, this table was two hundred dollars. I can't. Ugh. So then I hold back. A point mentioned earlier, which is uh, was to do with not being able to see the rounds in your magazine. Does that cause 
Do you have to keep track of the amount that's in the magazine then, or is there so specific to how many bullets are needed in each area that it ends up working out from that, if that makes sense? I would say you have to keep track of how many are in your gun when you're in the middle of a fight. Okay. You know, there's, there's downtime in Last of Us where you can just check each gun on the left or right holster to see if it's reloaded or not. But when you're in the middle of a fight that can last quite a while, you do need to keep track. Uh, I think the best example of that would be when you're playing as Ellie in the winter chapter fighting off waves of infected with David. You know, you have a rifle that has three bullets in it. And, you know, I like to snipe them off from really far away. But, you know, if you lose track of how many bullets are, are... in the gun, you know, you could get ready to fire at one and then, oh, you have to reload. And by that point, they're running in a direction that's unfavorable for clipping them off pretty easy. Yeah, it's just something you almost like need to count out loud almost. I, I kind of do it. So to avoid that from happening, I like to fire one bullet and then reload right then and there. And I do like a reload cancel, like LES to open the gun, put the bullet in and then close it again. If you listen for the bullet being put in the gun, you can like click off the holster and then click it, uh, click back on it again, and you can fire it again. It's basically reloaded. So what I like to do is sometimes after firing a bullet, I like I like to reload it right away and then fire it again because yeah, it happens in the middle of the fight. There's one enemy that shows up and then another enemy right after that. And then after that enemy, there's three right next to each other. So I don't want to hit the first two without reloading. I I hit the first guy, reload, hit the second guy, reload. And then I empty all three bullets in the gun on the next three enemies. So it's one of those things, you know, you find workarounds to the inconvenience of it, basically. Speaking of David, actually, you've participated, or I don't know if participated is the right word, but you've appeared on... Uh, what was formerly known as Retro Replay, I believe it's been rebranded now, which was a YouTube channel where you appeared with Nolan North, who many people will know being a famous voice actor in various games specific to this. Um, in Uncharted, he was Nathan Drake, and in Last of Us, the voice of David. I was interested how that experience came about and how was the experience of, of, of being there, I guess. Yeah, they reached out to me. I Oh, I had reached out to them a long time ago, but I got left on red, which I expected to happen but then i found out that they reached out to me on their own like hey um we know your status with last of us we'd like to know if you'd like to collaborate with us and for you know build up some hype for part two that's releasing soon i was like oh my god yes are are we talking about just like doing it over zoom or actually going there like no like flying out there and i was like oh my god yes (laughs) yes yes because i it's not like they reached out and i had no idea who there was i I was watching their show every week, you know, when they were doing their Uncharted and Last of Us playthroughs. Um, now, Troy had already left the show by then, but it was it was Nolan North and uh, Troy Baker doing most of it. So Troy left the show for other things, you know, that's whatever. I don't know the details behind that, but, and, uh, you know, I, I received an invitation to fly to California and make some YouTube videos with Nolan North. And I, when I agreed to that, I didn't ex- exactly know what I was expecting when I got there. The producer and I kind of laid the groundwork for what a potential episode could be about. He wanted me to c- uh, go there and basically, you know, play some of Last of Us 2 for Nolan. And I, I think he assumed I was already like a pro at it, but I had only played it once. You know, you don't become a pro at a game just by playing it once or twice. You got to put thousands of hours into it. So that's when I recommend it. You know, of all the people who could 
go in, in their studio and play with them, you know, why would it be me? So I thought of an episode that was like, why don't I show off what I can do so it'll provide a little bit more context as to why I'm here and doing this? And he wasn't super into that idea, but I, I kind of fought for it thinking, no, I really think this would be good because, you know, part two isn't my forte. It, it, it's part one. That 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 is my bread and butter and that ended up being their most uh well the most viewed video of the of the bunch that we did but it's sitting at like 10th place on their entire viewership history but as for actually going there and meeting nolan it was it was the coolest thing i've never met like a celebrity before you know i've I've seen a couple in person you know comedy shows and all that but i've never actually had one-on-one time with a celebrity i mean you read that guy's wikipedia page and his (laughs) acting credits that's like one of the longest reading sessions you'll have in a day. He's um, everything been in pretty much everything. He's been in everything. If, if if there's a game that Nolan North isn't in, is it really is it really a game? You know. So you know, for people wondering what he's actually like, he he's he's a lot like uh, Nathan Drake. Really, he's always saying something witty. He's always just in it for having a good time. And yeah, he was. Very, very. I don't. I don't have any dirt on him. He was just a super cool. He was just a super cool guy. It's weird because I've seen voice actor, not uh, not in person, but they're like the behind the scenes they have of animated programs or game when they're doing the behind the scenes of games, and it's weird to see the character's voice come out of their mouth as opposed to like the the game figure and uh, one clip. Um, where you where you were playing through during the David scene and seeing him do the voice is <laughs> it was like a strange experience. It must have been obviously even stranger being there in person, have like seeing on screen and hearing it to your side. Yeah, that's one thing. I di- I didn't get to like talk with him. I, well, I was too ner- like we we took lunch breaks in between shooting videos. I was too nervous to say anything. If he asked me questions, I answered. But I was my heart was beating through my chest because yeah, it's like there you know I've. I've Played Uncharted. I played Uncharted after I played Last of Us, but I still enjoyed the hell out of it. And it's just like, there he is. Oh my god. The guy I've been hearing in my headset for years. There he is. But yeah, there's one thing that always brings out like the inner child in me, and I think it will for as long as I live, is actually, because I don't watch a lot of cartoons anymore, but I used to. And seeing the actual person do the character's voice and looking at them while they're doing it is, I can't help but grin from ear to ear. It's the coolest thing. The two ones I like the most are Tom Kenny as SpongeBob and Charles Martinet as Mario. I just see them do their voice and I just, I can't help but smile. I can't help it. So when Nolan was doing the David voice in my ear while I was trying to play it professionally, <laughs> I'm grinning right now just thinking about it. It was, it was, I think I even said right now, it's like, I'm hearing him twice. He's right next to me. This is crazy. <laughs> he also, uh, just went back to do an Uncharted run, is that right? Or Uncharted 3, I should say. Yeah, I had picked up Uncharted's 1, 2, and 3 quite a long time ago. I think it was t- 2017. And, you know, I'm not great at them. I could, you know, if I devoted some time, I could probably get top four or five in the first three games. But, you know, I got to think about risk-reward. A lot of people want to see Last of Us and... You know, eventually you get to a point where you start resetting runs more and this isn't my this isn't the game I'm most known for. So I ran it for a little while, but then hit a point where I was like, "Nah, eh, that's good. But then, you know, after I was finished with uh, Retro Replay, they were doing an Uncharted 3 playthrough. They had to do it over Zoom because of COVID. But, you know, uh, Amy Hennig was there and Richard McGonagall was there. They, they did a full 
playthrough of Uncharted 3. So then their producer, Drew, he reached out and was like, you want to do an Uncharted 3 speedrun for, for Nolan? Because, you know, that's kind of how speedrunning works, too. You play through a game, maybe play it a second time, and then you, you look up a speedrun. Just like, oh, my God, I didn't know you could do the area like that and stuff like that. So it, it kind of worked out where they were finishing up their playthrough, and then I, uh, like the very next week, I did a, I did a speed run for them. I bet the response was akin to, hell yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, fuck, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for they just to know, it just reminded me of something mentioned about voice actors. The SpongeBob, they actually did a, a live-action, like, short with all the all voice actors doing a thing in a set and it was one of the weirdest viewing experiences so like got the voice actor for spongebob and um uh clancy brown mr Krabs, all doing a live action thing with the uh -huh. voices and it's one of the weirdest things to watch like it's amazing but it's also like your brain gets fuddled by it <laughs> i know i love when they do stuff like that i love it speaking of other events i guess uh i think we'll get back to last of us 2 in a sec but i just want to go into stuff outside of i guess just the pure speed running uh, even though this is <laughs> this is literally it as well. Uh, how did you find the running in GDQ and the ESA, which is European Speedruns Assembly, I believe, if that's the right way? Yes. How did you find that as experience? Basically, well, it was a really good experience when it happened because I don't know what it was about Last of Us that GDQ didn't really like. I submitted to Games Done Quick for five years, and they just wouldn't say yes. And they do two marathons a year. So that was 10 times I submitted to them. And they didn't say yes. Eventually, it was AGDQ 2020, right before the world shut down. They they were in person. They accepted left behind any percent. And the marathon was in Florida. So I had to go back and forth. They didn't accept Last of Us, but they did left behind. So I'm like, do I am I really going to fly to Florida and book the hotel and everything for a five and a half minute speed run? And I ended up doing it because I didn't have any GDQ experience. So I did that. But before I did that, I, you know, I had never been in a marathon before, a speedrunning marathon. Even though I had full-time status and everything, I, the door wasn't open for me in that department yet. So I submitted to ESA, and that's in Sweden. You know, I never traveled outside the country for anything. Uh, uh, but they said yes. And that was my very first live speedrunning marathon that I ever did. It was in July of 2019. Flew to Sweden ran last of us my commentator was uh he still is a viewer but uh he was a very supportive viewer and uh, that was the first time we had ever met and he did really good commentary for me so that was my first because uh, i was thinking like oh maybe they're not maybe gdq isn't accepting me because i i didn't have any marathon experience so i did the i did that and then i submitted to gdq and they still said no but <laughs> eventually you know i got some opportunities i i, I got in there SGDQ 2020 marathon, which was online. That's when I ran Last of Us. And before I did that, I was invited to do a hot fix show on New Year's Eve 2019. So that was like two years ago. So, you know, eventually, you know, I, I worked my way into the marathons. But an unfortunate history with that was there was still just a really long time where um, it wouldn't accept Last of Us. I guess because they thought maybe it wasn't the best speedrunning showcase. Maybe there's cursing in there because they are primarily family-friendly. But also, uh, this is still a fact. I've never ran Last of Us physically on their stage. I, I still haven't done that. When the world opens up, that's something I definitely want to do. So for people who might not be aware, how does application 
work for something like GDQ? Yeah, um, you could do a few different things. You could upload your record video. What they recommend is making almost pretend as if you're there. So make a recording of yourself doing commentary, talking over the run. Sometimes you can just do commentary over the record. But but I what I've done in the past is made a video specifically for the submission where I'm speed running and or I'm doing a run and I'm talking at the same time. And then any downtime, I'm like, oh, this would be a good spot to read out donations or something. Yeah, I think that's more what they're looking for with regards to a submission. Is the commentary something you enjoy doing as well? As I saw a lot of people, uh, at least in YouTube comments, and I thought it was good as, as I was watching uh, some clips of it, of saying your commentary was really good in describing the run as it went. Yeah, I, I um, when I'm going for records, I don't like talking. Well, like when I get to the halfway point of a run that I'm on a record pace, I kind of shut down and don't talk. But when I go into like teacher mode and explain why I'm doing this or what makes it work, I love that. I love that. And a, a marathon environment really lets me bring that out because it's not a serious, it, it, you want things to go perfectly, you want things to go well, but in a marathon, things never go according to plan. So just talking about why something didn't work or what was supposed to happen, you know, that can be part of the charm as well. Yeah, it can go, um, and I died like planned so I can explain how this went. <laughs> That's why I get away with it whenever I make a mistake on stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, if I, like, almost get through an area, but I die or something happens where I have to do it over, it's like, you know what? This area is so good, you get to see it <laughs> twice. All right? Let's move on to The Last of Us 2. What was your favorite additions from the first game? Um, would that be mechanics, gameplay, story? What was... Without hesitating, your companions are a little more helpful. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm not even a little bit kidding they you can rely on them to do certain things like like i have a rule in part one when when with the timer on never ever 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 rely on your companions to do something there are exceptions to that but a majority of the time don't ever rely on your companion to do anything pretend as if they're not there with part two i work in their performance into the strat like um think uh one of the last parts of the patrol chapter with ellie and dina you know, the last enemy killed, I'm relying on Dina to hit a clicker twice. Then I run in, throw a brick, and combination of Dina's bullets and a stab will, will kill it. Because if you just brick throw and stab a clicker, it doesn't kill it. It does damage, but then it just kind of knocks you off of it, and then you got to back up. If there's damage dealt prior, it, it'll be a kill. So I rely on Dina to uh, shoot the clicker twice. It's worked enough times that I can safely rely on her doing that. As for other gameplay elements, I haven't played part two in a while, but this year was primarily focused on part one. I just felt like going back to it for a year. It's weird. I don't have like, well, for one thing, part two, like part one, you need like the supplements and the parts you pick up to upgrade weapons or holsters or Joel's health or whatever. You know, you have to pick up those for the, for the route. You kind of have to with part two. We don't upgrade anything with parts and supplements because we can sort of substitute weapon sway with going prone and firing. The weapon sway is greatly reduced. Um, but as for like gameplay tweaks, I got to be honest, some of the the controls feel more, they definitely went with a more realistic style. But in a way, I feel like they kind of sacrificed the smoothness of the, well, it looks smooth, but the, the responsiveness, I think. Like, if you're trying to leap over something and swap guns, the game doesn't let you do that. There's so many times where I, like, try and pull out a certain weapon or a certain gun, but the game just doesn't do it right away. And it has to, 
it kind of has to do with like doing two things at once. Like if you're in part one, if you select a gun, no matter what you're doing, whether you're falling, climbing, jumping, you'll have the gun out by the time you're finished with whatever you were doing, which is super convenient. It may not look realistic, but you know, we have to play it. It looks, it, it feels very, very good. Part two, I feel like I'm fighting with the controls a lot. You know, the one good thing they added was prone, but even the way we use it is prone diving. And like, it's basically crouch walking, but doing it faster. It looks ridiculous. You're just diving over and over and over and over again. It looks ridiculous, but you know, it's a way to move a bit quicker while still staying stealthy. Yeah, and sometimes the controls can feel very, very sluggish. The aiming feels different and unfortunately not really in a good way. But the way part two works is compared to part one, you know, part one, there's certain areas where you have to kill everyone in order to proceed. Not every area, but most of them. You have to kill everybody in the area to proceed to the next area. Part two, even though part two is like twice as long as part one, there's probably the same amount of areas where you have to kill everybody. The rest of the areas, you can just, if you're quiet, you can just leave. <laughs> yeah, not, I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And it's good because it saves resources, but still part of the strategy is kind of taken away a little bit. Plus was two being on a, on a casual playthrough, uh, yes, at normally a minimum over 20 hours to complete. How did you even approach the speed run or trying to knock that down? Let's see, this was like a year and a half ago. The game's been out for a year and a half. Actually, it came out on June 19th, and the day we're recording this is the 19th, so it's been a year and a half exactly. I'm trying to think... My memory gets a little fuzzy when I think of the origin of strats. Like, I know what they are and we use them, but, like, the process of discovering them. Well, compared to when Part 1... Well, uh, I'm sorry. It's, what's different when Part 1 came out is now we have an entire speedrunning community full of people who are trying to find things to lower the time as much as possible. So a lot of strats were found by community members. Unlike Part 1, where it was me and just a couple other people. So I think that's the best thing about it. Is This isn't going to sound right, but I love when other people find strats. <laughs> so I don't have to. <laughs> I'm trying to think of... Uh, what was the initial question again? Um, so like breaking down a 20-hour run, even approach trying to get turn that into a speed run. Right, yeah. Um, it, it's sort of like the same process as Part 1, where... You know, you practice an area over and over and over just to see what works and what doesn't. First of all, differentiating between the areas that you can stealth past and other areas where you have to kill everybody. That's the first thing you need to do. And then, you know, realizing what kind of ammo. Part two is kind of interesting in the fact that you'll get, what is it? You'll get certain drops based on a combination of ammo you have in all of your guns. I'm not sure if part one works the same way or not. I think the best example of that is... There's examples of that in both Ellie and Abby chapters, but when you first meet Yara and Lev and you gotta they're trying to open a door and you need to you need to kill all the infected in, inside this building, you'll get consistent ammo drops if you have like a combination of six bullets or something between all of your guns. So there's almost a hundred percent guaranteed this enemy you kill at this part in the fight will drop this much ammo of this gun as long as you're below this amount combined. And yeah, things like that are kind of found by just playing through an area again and again and again just to see what works. And, and 
I think in Ellie's portion, when she's in day three, I think when you get to the arcade to fight the bloater, right before the end of her chapter, you if you have a combination, I forget if it's six bullets or eight bullets between all your guns. It might be six again. There will literally be like three shotgun shells just sitting there on a table before the stairwell. And if you had more than six bullets combined between your guns, it just wouldn't be there at all. And that's stuff you, you're definitely not looking for. It's stuff that, well, you might look for it with that. It's like, if I have nothing here, what's the game going to give me? So I guess that could be found intentionally. Yeah, there are little things like that. I know there was another viewer. His name's Kevin700P. He came up, he found all of the beneficial restart encounters in the entire game. That was probably the biggest contribution anyone's given so far. I noticed that with The Last of Us 2 during the first year, there was lots of restart checkpoints moments. I guess that's back to mentioning earlier to do with being an in-game timer game that just that that shift forward is going to help in the end, even though it's, it, I guess, well, to me, it looks weird. <laughs> not not being a player, but... Oh, yeah, it looks weird. You got to imagine it like what the game is viewing it as. Like if you cross an invisible line and do a restart encounter or a restart checkpoint and then it places whoever you're playing as like five feet forward, you need to kind of forget about the pausing or any loading screen you might get and just almost edit it in your mind together so that like the frame before you restart encounter or the, the frame before you pause and then like the frame after the gameplay is back up on the screen, that's what it would look like. If you were to edit it together, that's what it would look like as far as like the way the timer works. Did you have a preference between the Ellie or Abby side? I, I guess in terms of running, maybe <laughs> you can talk about the story if you wish, but <laughs> in terms of... <laughs> I'd, rather not, I'd rather not talk about yeah. the story now. Um, <laughs> you liked it or you didn't, um, but it's kind of interesting. Abby definitely has like the bigger set pieces. You know, you got the, the the Rat King, you got, like, the Home Depot store, you got the, the Seraph uh, majority of Seraphite encounters, and she's got, like, the more action-packed sequences and even the Seraphite Island. But this is just, for me, I find, as a speedrun, it's a little bit easy, easier playing as her than it is playing as Ellie. Now, movement-wise, they're exactly the same except for combat. Ellie uses a knife, Abby uses her fists. But, you know, if you, if you kind of break it down, it, damage given and, like, when they'll, like, block an attack or something is pretty much the same. Like, I think six punches from Abby will kill someone. Six slices with Ellie's knife will kill someone. So it's kind of the same. Yeah, I would say Ellie's portion is just a little bit harder. Or trying to think of, like, a specific reason. It just kind of is. I feel like, there are more encounters that you have to face as Ellie than there are as Abby. Abby, like, a lot of the encounters you can just run past. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Even the Rat King fight. You would think that, that part's difficult. It's not. When you know what you're doing and you have the right amount of supplies, it's pretty easy. The big thing there is if the Rat King is on fire, bullets will do twice as much damage as if it wasn't on fire. So that kind of blew everything wide open. You know, you would do... You'd start with a flamethrower couple pipe bombs and then you would use the hunting pistol on it mostly and then when the stalker half rips off from it you have to set it on fire again and then a few more hits with either your variable rifle or hunting pistol is enough to kill it it's pretty simple and if you are like shooting it against the wall it won't rush you because it was only designed to charge at you when you're in the middle of those hallways so there's a strat for everything 
Yeah, but sections that look difficult when speedrunning and knowing how they work, they actually aren't. Whereas Ellie's is kind of the opposite. Like, I haven't done a speedrun of Part 2 since February of this year. It, it just kind of happened. I accomplished more than I thought I would in a short amount of time. Like, I got below four and a half hours in the full game run. I didn't think that would happen for, like, a year or two. But I got it four months into running it, and I was like, wow, okay. So I kind of left it for a while. You know, I, I feel like I'm a little bit burned out on it. Because th there isn't as much... This is just personal pref. This is my own opinion. Take it with a grain of sand, if you will. I, I feel like there's more depth to Part 1 speedruns than there are Part 2. You know, there's still, like, very similar elements, like what you need to pick up, when to craft, where to use it, and what you're going to get dropped and where, what's going to get dropped and where. But I feel like part one just does all that a little bit better as a speed run. As a game, you know, again, it's up to personal preference, but I feel like as a speed run, part one is just a little bit better with that kind of stuff. You need to face the encounters more. You need to keep track of how much you have. And if you don't have that amount of ammo, it, you could be in a lot of trouble. Part two, there are, there are workarounds. There's a lot of, you know, you can move past uh you can move past areas even like when when Ellie first first gets her bow right before Hillcrest there's like a target practice that you can do with mannequins outside of a garage door Ellie when you when you first encounter that Ellie can't move the game prevents you from moving you have to hit one of those targets with a string pulled all the way back if you just fire an arrow at one of the mannequins it doesn't it still won't let you move it has to be with the string pulled all the way back. So what can happen is if you fire an arrow at a mannequin without the string pulled all the way back, because you can do that, you can rep, you can duplicate arrows. So then, like, you can leave that area with as many arrows as you can carry if you if you uh, manipulate it proper uh, properly. You know, like I want four arrows leaving here instead of three. Okay, fire at the mannequin that's like four feet in front of you with the string slightly pulled. And then when you do fire that one with the string all the way pulled, you can pick up those arrows when they hit because they won't break. You can make as many as you want. You can make 100. You can't carry that many, but you can if you want. <laughs> if, you, if you want 100, you can have 100, but you might not be able to take them. Yeah. Talk about approach to learning. Is there a difference between try, trying to improve times in a run, such as improving a world record time or getting that world record time, and the learning aspect of runs? Well, a lot of the times, you know, unlike, uh, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. I, uh, I didn't do very well in school because, you know, you fail in school. That's it. You fail. But I found through speed running, you learn a lot from failing. You know, you know what needs to be worked on. Uh, you know what area needs a little bit more time in the oven, basically. So, yeah, certain areas, you know, it works a certain way. It'll work that way every time. Doesn't need improving. But the areas that fail more often than they work, you know, you need to devote more time to those areas. So, you know, it also depends who found a certain strat, you know. If you, if you find a new strat yourself, you know, you have an advantage over other runners because they have to learn it. You know, you're the one who found it, so you know how it works. So learning a new strat can be difficult. We try and help each other as much as we can. There's no selfishness in uh, speedrunning, hiding a strat from somebody. <clears throat> yeah, trying to find a strat can be... My, I found a lot of new strats just from mindlessly doing an area over and over and over again. And I try and look for something that can be just a little bit consistent. 
I think the part I did that the most with in part two was the store. I mentioned where Dina shoots the clicker twice. Um, I I think one session I spent like three or four hours on, on it. And, you know, just mindlessly, I'm sure my viewers are like, looks like you got it. Why are you just doing it over and over? It's like, because I don't have anything I feel confident with or comfortable with. But if I do it enough times, maybe I'll get like a variation of something or just notice something that works. That's kind of how I noticed that, uh, oh yeah, here was one I found. So the second to last enemy to die in that store area is a clicker. Now, I burn it with a Molotov, but Molotovs won't kill infected if they like get burned a little bit. In part one, if they catch fire, they're dead. Part two, not necessarily. So I would let this one clicker catch on fire and it would come towards me. If Dina shoots it after it catches fire, the next shot she fires on the last clicker will be a headshot. And then I can just run in and stab it. If she shoots it before it catches fire, she has to body shot the next clicker twice. Like 100% of the time, she will headshot it if she hits the second to last clicker for a kill. But it, 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 it would be two body shots if she shoots the second to last clicker before it catches on fire. Now, there's no way you would know that ahead of time. It's just a weird way that area works. But it, that was found through just mindlessly doing it over and over and over and over again. You will find the weirdest things that end up working just by attempting an area over and over and over again. That's how I've found a lot of my new strats. Just by, and it's, it's so mindless. It's so, I'm sure my viewers are so bored of it, but that's what it takes. I just want to double down on that failure part because I do predominantly hitless or no damage runs of games and failing is like the best way to learn in that in that kind of thing in that sort of challenge run as well like if you do if you're fighting a boss or going through a particular routing section you get hit you change the way you approach it it's i, I think it's just underrated or not it's not underrated but there's a bad perception perhaps about it but it's honestly in in this and in i guess a lot of things it's one of the best ways to to learn to improve uh, at things mm -hmm. yeah um well, like i said it just lets you know what you need to work on because once you fix that you know you'll stumble upon another thing that needs fixing and then you just hope you don't forget what you learned from it i think with the especially with strats about coming up with strats or learning strats it's it's interesting because i've done a few guides and noticed you've you've started a, a grounded soil series um for speed running and it I personally find it tricky to do with because you you normally you only show like one instance of one or two instances of a fight or of a of a route, and it can be hard to explain everything that happens uh, to do with like nuances. Like you might deal with one section and you move slightly to the right to avoid something, but you may subconsciously do that because you know that that causes a slight difference to do with. A, a mob a, a mob a boss a inserts yeah uh yeah there are a lot of like little nuanced things i do in my part one run specifically even like slowing my sprint down for a second and then starting up again to avoid getting alerted right away and delaying it by a couple seconds you know little things like that you uh <clears throat> you probably just if you wanted to learn to speed run part one from watching my record you wouldn't notice stuff like that so yeah, I, I'm currently in the process of making a brand new tutorial. I have like two more parts to go. 
what's taking so long, these tutorials are three or four hours each video, where if you were speed running it, it would take like 20 minutes. The hard part is getting the point across that, yeah, there's a way I expect it to work, but there's so many other ways it could unfold. So what are those things and what do you do if you get those things? That's what's taking so long to explain <laughs> and show off. I think that that makes a a better guide as well, though, because there can be cases of of this is how how to do this section. This is how the section goes when it goes well. Uh, but not many, at least in my experience, going into into various runs, there can be few examples of what to do in situations where things go wrong. So I think that makes a better guide for someone who wants that in depth knowledge of how to run. Yeah, yeah, I, I've been saying it throughout my tutorial. What's more important than main strats are the backup strats like and i even find that with watching other speedrunners or specifically i think uh well mario is my favorite speedrun anything mario when something doesn't go right they immediately know what to do to back it up and i find that I, i've always found that way more impressive than if they just did the strat that's i'm still impressed by the strat being performed perfectly but just it's second nature that to them to know what to do on the spot when it doesn't go according to plan. That's always so impressive. They are like one with the game, yeah. you know? It's like millisecond of disappointment, but then like straight to it, straight to plan B. Mm-hmm, yep. And, you know, that's probably the hardest thing when picking up a game to run for the first time. You know, you need that You need that experience of uh, of failure to know that an area can work out this way that you weren't expecting it to so you can fix it i guess a little away from speed running but is there or i guess with it, i guess <laughs> is there any strats from doing these grounded speed runs that would benefit someone who just wants to complete grounded for instance just wants to complete their playthrough any mechanics or unutilized thing gameplay oh yeah i've uh I've gotten so many comments like I never would have completed Grounded if it wasn't for your, not tutorial, but your speedruns. I learned so many things from it. And even if they don't pull it off perfectly first try, you know, it gives them an idea of what they can try themselves. I think the best example of that is like the sniper chapter in part one. On Grounded, that's brutal. You get hit once by that sniper in the nest, it, uh, you're dead. You know, and so many people try and go off to the right. It's way better to go off to the left. There's way more objects of cover there. Um, that's just one example, but um, there's other spots where it's like, you know, st stealthing on, like, sneaking past an enemy on grounded mode is almost impossible sometimes. You'll be moving quietly, they'll still spot you. It, it, to the point, it, it does feel there's there's some bullshit involved. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's, it, I don't use it in my runs, but there is a strategy you could do. If you're crouched, and aiming a gun while you're moving, it's slow, but clickers I, clickers I don't think will hear you the whole way through. If you're dealing with an area of just clickers, if you're crouched and aiming and moving, they'll never hear you. It works with most areas. Not never, but the chances of that is significantly decreased. That could be one thing that someone picks up in their casual playthrough if they want to save all their weapons. I think probably the biggest lesson people learn is how many areas you can just go past and don't have to kill everyone, because it's tempting, you know? <laughs> Do I waste all my, like, I think the biggest benefit of a of a, an area skip, I think, is the bookstore when you enter Pittsburgh in part one. There's probably a dozen enemies in there with rifles and shotguns and revolvers. 
on grounded mode, it, it's a death sentence, but you can go through without having to kill anybody and just onto the next area. You know, I feel like someone watching my speedruns or my tutorial will just be like, I didn't know that. I'm definitely doing that next time. You know, easy mode, it's more fun to clear out the area, but grounded, it's like, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. I want to go into streaming aspect, but I just got one last query in terms of speedrunning, because one thing I saw which jumped out was you having a a submitted runs for South Park, uh, the Stick of Truth, <laughs> and just was interested in how that came about. Yeah, that was a long time ago. I'm going to guess like 2018. Um, but I was looking for another game to speedrun, and that's what that that's one of my favorite casual playthroughs of a game in a long time that game provided. Um, so I, I looked it up, and there was a speedrunning community for it. So I'm like, hey, let me give it a try. And the one thing I liked about that game is there's very little RNG. A lot of it is memorization and execution. But as for randomness, there's some, but there's very, very little of it. And I'm like, that is such a nice break from Last of Us, where there's a lot of randomness. A lot of randomness. Um, so that was the biggest appeal. Almost no randomness whatsoever. And it just allowed me to flex my uh, memorization muscle. Because I, 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 I've always said I have a really good memory for useless information you know not that speedrunning is useless it provides a lot of entertainment for a lot of people but you know something i read or like in a college textbook or something it just doesn't stick it just it doesn't but speedrunning doing something seeing it it immediately just locks in my head so it was fun kind of taking those skills to another game and yeah that was really the whole point behind it i was just looking for a new game and it was fun into learning it for a little while. I eventually hit a point where I was starting to reset more, and I... Oh, why did I stop running that game? But yeah, I, I was starting to reset more, and I hit, a, I hit a spot where I was like, you know what? That was pretty good. You know, compared to your first run, where you are now, you improved a lot. So it was temporary, but it was it was still pretty nice. So you're currently a, a, a full-time streamer. What is it about stream streaming, perhaps separate from the actual speedrunning that appeals or do you enjoy about? I love how it um, kind of wakes my brain up a little bit. When I'm offline, I'm, uh, you know, I'm introverted. I'm shy. I uh, only bring this up if it comes up, but I'm uh, slightly autistic. It's high functioning. I was born that way. You know, it's one of those things. If I didn't tell people, they would have no idea. But, you know, social gatherings and all that. It's, I know it's like a sort of a gamer stereotype, but it, you know, it, it's it's a little uncomfortable, it, it, more so than just being introverted. But I feel like when I when I stream, there's nothing wrong with me, and I'm active. I'm chatting. I'm I'm the person that I wish I was when I'm not streaming. It just kind of wakes up the part of my brain that, for whatever reason, just feels like isn't working when I'm not doing it. I know that was kind of like a deep answer, no, but <laughs> it, it, yeah, that's. And, and, you know, I wasn't like that when I started, you know, I, you know, just talking to people who were just chatting that, you know, that took a while to get used to, but eventually it just, I don't know, it felt right the more I did it. What's something that, or an aspect of being a full-time streamer that people may not be aware of? Oh, well, that it's a job, you know, uh, and it just takes a lot of commitment. You know, if you want to grow, you can't treat it half-assed. You know, I, for a while before streaming was profitable, you know, I had to work a part-time job with it and I wasn't putting nearly as much effort into it as I should have in order for it to grow at a certain rate. So, you know, I committed to it full-time and, and it eventually hit a point where it became profitable. 
but also, you know, as I said, there's two negative things to speed running. One is the sacrifice of your time. You know, if uh, a relative or a member of your family wants to do something a certain day, it's like, no, I have to work. Even just recently, I was reached out to by uh, an old friend from high school. He's like, I want to go to a bar or something. And I was like, now I have to work. <laughs> I, uh, we can reschedule or something. But, you know, I, I work these days. And, you know, because, you know, committing to a schedule is really good for uh, for viewership. And also, the one thing I don't like about full-time streaming is... Um, you don't get to watch your, your own favorite streamers, you know, because if they're live at the same time you're live, you know, you miss them. You have past broadcasts, but it's not quite the same. Um, so yeah, sort of, uh, I feel like I'm only mentioning the bad parts about it. You know, another not so great thing is, uh, I've, I've, especially for speedrunners, I sacrificed uh, a hobby I used to enjoy. You know, I, I used to play all different types of games. This year, I only played three games, Last of Us, Part 2, and Uncharted 3. It, they sent out those emails with twitch recaps and stuff i only played three games all year and i don't really have a desire to play other games i don't know why it, over time i just felt more comfortable sticking to what i know and yeah sometimes i miss playing other games but even then i don't know if i'd feel comfortable streaming something where i don't know what's going to happen you know <laughs> I, i've been doing this for so long so yeah the sacrificing you know personal relationships um, sacrificing, you know, just the gaming hobby itself. And um, what was the other one? Not being able to watch your own favorite streamers. Probably the negatives of full-time streaming. But the pros do outweigh the cons. You know, you get people every day telling you how much they appreciate your work and everything. And and the point I mentioned where I feel like I'm just much more alive when I'm when I'm doing this. And yeah, the pros definitely outweigh the cons. And and you know. You can make a full-time living off of it if if you're big enough. Was there any yes, notable or memorable events or things that gave rise to being able to do it full-time? If anything like stands out or comes to mind? I remember... Do I remember? Um, well, it, the growth was slow, but it was there. You know, you get 20 new followers a stream. It doesn't seem like much, but if you do 200 streams a year, that's 4,000 followers right there. And if... 40 of them stick around, you know, that's growth. You know, you get 40 new average viewers a year, you know, that's that's pretty good. Or even uh, 400 or something, you know, just a certain number. But I do remember one where I got a pretty big boost in viewership. This was only shortly after getting partner, maybe a year into partnership. I was still holding like 100 or 200, not average, but, you know, maximum. And then I was... I reached out to be on the Twitch partner spotlight. And for a week, I was getting six or 7,000 viewers. And that whole week, I did two runs a day. That, let's say I'll never do that again. Because, <laughs> yeah, that should be pretty self-explanatory why. Last of Us itself is just a very depressing game. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of envy someone who can speedrun Mario or Zelda where it's more colorful, the sound effects are more lighthearted and everything but yeah that like doubled my viewership from a couple hundred to like 400 so that was a big one right there yeah anyone looking for a little boost if you're like a early partner or something some front page time some twitch front page time you can just reach out to a they have they have some partner help places to go but you know i'd say the biggest boost in viewership was just the announcement of a last of a sequel that was that really was uh i think the turning point for my channel I just noticed viewership increasing over and over because I think people were trying to find more Last of Us streamers on Twitch, and I was and I was always near the top uh, per day. How was the experience of 
streaming The Last of Us 2, I asked as it's, it was a game of contention, let's say, <laughs> uh, when it released. I yeah, guess. well, the only, I would say people say it's controversial. The only thing controversial about it was it being about something that maybe not many people, it, about the game being about something that not as many people cared about. That's the only controversial thing about it. You know, as for it being controversial, it wasn't controversial. You just didn't like it. Yeah. That's all it was. I agree. Um, <clears throat> yeah, they tried. They they wanted to do what they did is what they wanted to do. That's all. That's that's all it is. As for streaming it, you know, even with part one, part one has my favorite story of any game ever made. It is. It still is. But it didn't hit me until part two came out. How little I talk about part one story. I don't. I'm always focused on speedrunning it. You know, this area, you do this thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I kind of treated part two the same. And going forward, I will treat part two the same. You know, if um, because if anyone asks what I thought about part one, I kind of have the same reaction as if someone asked me about what, what I thought of part two. And that's like, I don't like talking about the story on here. You know, <laughs> I don't know why I don't, especially with part one. There's no reason for me to not talk about the story for part one. I just... It's like I already I already lived that when I was doing my in, in my PlayStation three days, I got all the story content out of it that I possibly could, you know, just talking about it more. I don't feel like I'm gaining anything from it. And the same kind of goes with part two. I I'd prefer just to not talk about it and focus on the speedrun tech of it. There are a lot of other places you can go to just spill your guts about what you thought about this or that. Yeah. <laughs> uh Reddit being a good one. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, I do wish we lived in a world where the stuff didn't come out prior to the game being released because I think that already put like that put a negative conception right at the start. So I wish I wish that I think it would have been less so if it just been the gate people played the game for themselves and not made a decision on it before they'd even played it. But that, that's... Yeah, I felt I, I I felt so bad for them when that happened. Like no game deserves to release like that. But it's, yeah, it's neither here than there. It's it's what it is, but it's, it's it's still a shame. I think. Is there anything else you want to talk about speedrun related or anything, Anthony? Before I go into some quick questions. Really? Um. Well, maybe I was going to talk about this later, but uh, in three days I'm actually going to be on another GDQ hotfix on the 22nd i'll be running last of us again with the guy i was with in sweden and uh on the 14th of january i'll be going to maryland for the first in-person speedrunning marathon since the pandemic started it's called glitch infinite and uh all the like the speedrunning pros will be there uh trihex g's 360 chrism like a lot of the big speedrunners so look for that on january 14th if you had one piece of advice for a new speedrunner, what advice would it be? Well, it depends. Are they trying to build their own channel or are they just trying to get the best time possible? Let's say times. Times, I recommend just doing a run without knowing what you're doing. Just do a run. Your intention is to go fast. Just do a run. And then you're going to fail. You are going to play so badly. <laughs> and then after that, you watch either the record or any tutorial that the, that the game has. And then from there, you practice a couple areas, maybe do another run right away. You'll definitely improve. And then practice areas that need the work. And then, well, you know, take it in, in steps. You know, like I said, do a run. It's going to be bad. Watch the record, watch any tutorial, and then try another run. And then practice from there, individual areas that need the work. Yeah, don't be afraid of, like, not getting close to the record time. 
you know, anybody who has like a first place time in their respective game didn't come easy to them. Okay. They you almost have to have at least a thousand hours of work into it to get a first place time. And also to manage your expectations. You know, it may very well be that your best you can do is maybe top five or top 10. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I speed run Uncharted and I have absolutely no intention of getting anywhere close to the record because talent that the first and second place runners have in that game is unmatched. I, there's no way I could do it. I have every record in part one and left behind. That was the big project this year. I got that. I have a 0% chance of getting a record in Uncharted. So when you start, have managed expectations. You know, maybe you do end up hitting a record. But learn to be content with just improving your own time and then maybe set a goal of breaking the top 10 or breaking a certain time relative to how many submissions there are. If one game could be released tomorrow, either an announced, unannounced, or a sequel to a game you don't think will ever exist, what game would it be? Uh, well, I'm kind of hoping for a part two DLC, just because it would be it would be shorter. You know, like Left, Left Behind casually is about two to two and a half hours. Glitchless in that game is now in the 28 minute range. Didn't used to be, but it's in the 28 minute range. That's a nice speed run for those who don't want to sit here for three hours. So I kind of wish part two had a, a, a equivalent to that. I would kind of like that because shorter runs, you're able to put up with a lot more bad things that happen. Cause like, oh, in a 30 minute speed run, oh, I lost the run at 20 minutes. Well, it takes 20 minutes to get back yeah. there. Go again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Is there any particular story aspect or characters you'd want that DLC to be about? Or? Okay. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm just going to say this. A after part two, I don't, I'm not like super interested in what they do going forward. It could make another one. I definitely play it. I definitely be excited for it. But I don't know if I, uh, I don't know if it's needed. And personally, I'm not as excited as I used to be about it. So yeah, that, what else they could do with it is a big question mark to me, whether it's a sequel or a DLC. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think even though it has quite like a morose ending to to it, I also think it's it sort of fits and is sort of a relatively complete ending. I found. Um, yeah. Ish. Like I said, if they come out with another one, I'll definitely play it. I'll definitely be excited for it. But if that's where they leave it, maybe it's for the best. To do with the mental aspects of challenge running, if there was a time. Could you tell me a time when a run was taking its toll and how you got past it? Yeah, <clears throat> it happened uh, recently. I In August, I got my current record in Grounded. That took four months to get. So I said, all right, after that, I'm going to focus on the easy mode categories because, you know, the other runner that I mentioned earlier, his name is Uranto. He had the record for almost every other easy mode category. But I'm like, if I do this for a living, I want the records, you know, record chasing back and forth. It's been happening for years. Playing easy mode when you're so used to grounded is just a different feeling. First of all, there's very little tension. You know, you take a little bit of damage in one area, and on grounded, it puts the next area at risk. You know, instead of two bullets killing you, it's one bullet. You know, it, there's that tension of it. You take damage in easy mode, you're, you're not going to die. You're not even close. So time losses are kind of magnetized a little bit more. Grounded, it's like, oh, well, that was one of the tougher fights. I can put up with losing two or three seconds. Easy mode, it's like, there's no reason that shouldn't have been perfect. Absolutely no reason at all. So there's that mindset of sort of not bringing down your skill level. You know, there's a whole different skill set needed to run easy mode. 
you know, knowing what works, having the confidence to uh, do the fastest things imaginable, possible. But I'm not going to say it's any less impressive. I'll always have the mindset of, you know, ground running grounded is more impressive than running easy mode. But in reality, you know, getting the lowest time possible on easy mode does take a lot of skill. And where's I going with this? Yeah, I, I hit a point where I was spending... Because I had like five different categories. Last of Us has seven categories. Two grounded and then five different easy mode ones. I was stuck on like first three easy mode categories I was tackling like for like a month each. I was spending about three or four weeks on each easy mode category. I, I thought I would, you know, pick up the strats, learn everything, like relearn it again, and then just breeze through it. There was no breeze. I struggled a lot. And... You know, there were times I just wanted to stop. Uh, that was the whole buildup to it. I, I just wanted to stop. But there's the, there was the, in the back of my head saying, like, anything you've tried to accomplish, you eventually have with regards to speedrunning Last of Us. Anything you've wanted, you've eventually just gotten through hard work and determination. So I, I, I stuck it out because I've never really, long term, I've never really failed at anything I've tried in part one. All I need to do is just put in the time and eventually I'll get to where I want to be. And that's exactly what happened. Eventually something just clicked and I, I just went on a tear of getting the records. But if I, if I had stopped, that never would have happened. So you just need to have the confidence and know it'll work out in your favor if you put in the time. If I said most hyped or celebrated moment on stream, what moment would come to mind? I would say getting an older record, like earlier in my streaming career, like getting below three hours or getting the first 250. I was way more emotionally attached to those. If you if you go watch my current record, I got it and I was like, yeah, nice. <laughs> but back then I was like in tears. <laughs> I don't know why, those held more weight. I, I really don't know why. Maybe I'm a little older now experience some things i don't know but yeah definitely getting some of the older times more specifically my first sub three and my very first uh 250 those were extremely memorable or even my first 249 very very memorable and final question is what's in the future plans of anthony caliber future plans well after the two speed running marathons i mentioned i'll be going back to part two you know we got to wait to see what naughty dog releases going forward you know it's been a year and a half exactly to the day that they released part two. They haven't said a word about what they're working on. They've talked about a uh, standalone multiplayer. I think Anthony Newman, the guy who works there, said that they're making it. And even like Naughty Dog Jobs listings Twitter page said that they're working on it, but they haven't officially announced it yet. Um, so there's that. Because I also uh, played the Last of Us multiplayer a lot. It's not as popular, but oh, back to your question about like trying to improve in Last of Us speedrunning. Play the multiplayer. The movement is exactly the same as Joel in his alert phase. Exactly the same. And try and use use guns that you would use uh, in in the speedrun, like the revolver or the pistol. Uh, but as for future plans, it's it, it's it's more of the same. Honestly, I don't know why I haven't gotten sick of this yet, but I but I haven't. I really see more Last of Us Left Behind and Part 2 runs in my future. I don't know. Like, when I, I'll grind one for maybe a good portion of the year. Then when I'm finished, I want to go back to, to uh, the other game or the next game or whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of variety. Maybe that'll change in the future when I, like, officially say I'm done. But I don't see that happening soon. It's just more of the same. But people enjoy it. Is it going to be, like, uh, the, the, the first? Or do you also 
like improve current times, even if the world records grounded is the one that I care about the most. You know, I still care about having first place in part one and left behind like the other categories, but I'm not super into wanting to improve them. I'll only go back to it if somebody beats my time. But the one time I'm always going to want to improve is uh, part one grounded. If you're playing well enough, it just never gets old. I don't know why. Like the satisfaction I feel when I first started, I still have it. When I start to lose it, I either put the game away or I'll put for a while or I'll put it away forever. But it's still fun. I don't know why. It just is. And if people want to check you out, where would they be looking? Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter, it's all the same name, Anthony Caliber. And I have a Discord, which is the Ant Colony. <laughs> Anthony, I really appreciate taking time out for this. Uh, I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. I hope you've enjoyed it as well, man. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you so much for having me. No worries at all. And I hope everyone listening has enjoyed it as well. Hope everyone has a great rest of your day, even in the morning, depending on your time zone. And I shall catch you in the next episode. If you enjoyed that and want to hear more conversations with amazing guests, be sure to head over to youtube.com slash wayofloki, Loki spoke the C, or wayofloki.com slash nohitpodcast.